This is Harney's Offshore Litigation Podcast. My name is Ian Mann, and I'm delighted to announce that I'm being joined by my colleague here in Hong Kong, Julie Nguerda. Welcome, Julie. Thanks, Ian. It's great to be here. The uh, topic for today, uh, which sounds dry, but we're going to make it sound interesting, is, well, it says derivative actions, but I think that's too easy for you, Julie. I I would like you to talk about, please, multiple derivative actions, too. And I think it's right that uh, you have actually lived in the B-Guy for 11 years, haven't you? So you've been really, before moving to Hong Kong, you've been at the coalface of this sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, interestingly, with these derivative actions, I arrived in BVI in 2005, which Mm. is when the BVI brought in the Mm. Business Companies Act, and Mm. that's what brought in the statutory derivative action process. Mm. So having spent the next 11 years in BVI, I really got to see how this law has developed. Mm -hmm. And I mean, the BVI courts look to English law for guidance because the English statute does have provision for uh, derivative action. So that's quite helpful, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, But as with all uh, different jurisdictions, there's some sort of subtle tweaks that can throw up a few Mm. uh, complexities with Mm. these things. Mm. Um, And, you know, there's a couple of subtle differences between BVI statute and English statute Mm. um, that can trip people up if they're not alert to it and uh, makes life interesting. And these, I mean, these derivative actions are just part of the armory, as it were, I guess, um, for a, a shareholder who feels... Uh, badly treated uh, in a company? Because you've got, you've got a number of options. You've got unfair prejudice claims, just and actual claims, derivative actions. Where, where does derivative actions fit in, in, in a shareholder's armoury, as it were? Yeah, look, it's, it is really um, often seen as a port of last resort. Um, and that's because the Business Companies Act does arm shareholders with so many powerful tools to mm-hmm. seek relief. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, uh, an often overlooked provision is Section 184B of the Business Companies Act, and mm-hmm. that gives shareholders power to force compliance by directors or companies when they're not complying with the M&A. Mm-hmm. Now, derivative actions, of course, come in where the uh, wrongdoers are in control of the company, yeah. and those wrongdoers aren't protecting the company and enforcing rights or um, harm that's been caused to the company. And that's where the law steps in and arms them with this very powerful tool to um, ensure that the company is protected and that any wrongs committed on the company can be put to right. And we're just going to focus on the BVI, I think, in this podcast because BVI is complicated enough, actually, without talking about other places. Okay, fine. Perfect, perfect. And, I mean, why, you know, people often say of the BVI that they have, for derivative actions, there is all this... Um, legislation, but um, there's been quite a lot of movement in the case law, hasn't there? Because there was this debate, wasn't there, that on the one hand you have all of this fancy legislative provision, but there was this sort of unease that there still existed the common law right for der- derivative actions, which which need not obey the rules of the new legislation. Have, have I mischaracterised that? No, not at all. Um, and it's one of the interesting things with, uh, with jurisdictions like BVI. Because they're developing and they're innovative and they have such an appetite to mm. find solutions, mm. yeah. um, the court's very willing to uh, examine around what the options are. So originally, when these cases were first arising, there was a very strict interpretation of statute that you can only bring a single derivative action. So that's where you're a direct registered shareholder of the company. Now, the courts are moving on from that position and they're recognising 
that just because there might be a restriction in the statute doesn't mean that that's abrogated what your common law rights might be. So where the common law gives you a right to bring a multiple derivative action, for example, or recognises, say, the rights of a beneficial owner, somebody who's not on the register. Really? Why shouldn't the court intervene and give assistance? Well, so a, a, a nominee, I mean, this happens in Asia a lot, so a, a nominee who refuses to try to procure the derivative action just gets sidestepped and the, and the beneficial owner... It's not as simple as them being sidestepped. There's yeah. mechanisms that have to go through. But yeah. the court's certainly showing a willingness not to shut out beneficial owners just because their nominee or the mm. person who's on the register mm. is refusing to take the necessary steps mm. to protect those rights. Mm. Um, and again, that's a long line of authorities in BDI, and there's been a lot of developments around this area over the years. Um, well, just to show... It's I've... a podcast in itself. <laughs> <laughs> just to show I've done my... Prep, I've, got, I've got this BDI textbook in front of me. Oh, just, 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 just... Who wrote that? <laughs> all, the, all the proceeds go to charity now, Julie. Um, but this, this issue actually goes to the Court of Appeal, doesn't it? In a case called Tip Investments, and they're talking about a, um, a sort of trust dispute in relation to a beneficial owner, and, and it was that that sort of left it open for yeah, beneficial absolutely. owners to proceed. And, and Tip's Remarkable. a really—it's a really interesting case because it, it examines a number of. Um, different concepts. So it examines the locus of the uh, beneficiary in order to actually mm. bring the proceedings. Mm. It examines derivative actions. Mm. It examines common law multiple derivative actions. And the Court of Appeal, um, the Eastern Caribbean Court of Appeal, recognised that um, the beneficiary shouldn't be shut out. And they recognised also that in um, based on a line of authorities from the UK, that trust claims mm. um, can have the ability for a multiple derivative action. Now, when you follow that through, should it be restricted to a trust claim? We've seen before where the BVI courts have been very willing to um, enforce and um, give a, a party a right to enjoy a common law remedy when the statute appears to shut them out. We've seen that with developments around insolvency law. So I think the next le logical step in all of this is that the court's going to uh, be very open-minded to it and start to be more flexible in its approach and seek to give assistance. So for Ian Mann's sort of cheat sheets, right, for my small brain to remember, essentially under the, the legislation it's only a single derivative action that's available, but there is the door open under the common law for a multiple derivative, and that would include possibly, because this Court of Appeal case, beneficial owners as well. That could possibly extend, yeah. Now, what about, um, we've, had, we've had someone write a little question for me to try and trick you, uh, and that question is, are multiple derivative actions used essentially to avoid key jurisdictions, key courtrooms that they want to avoid by using this multiple jurisdiction route? Is, 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 there any, is it open to abuse? Look, I think any legal mechanism can be open to abuse. That's, you know, we see that time and again, um, and we see legitimate uses of processes. And BVI, um, as well as other uh, jurisdictions such as Cayman um, have these structures which are quite complex and mm -hmm. it's not unusual to see say a BVI company with a Cayman subsidiary with another BVI company within a Hong Kong company a PRC entity. Now if you're a shareholder of that top BVI company why shouldn't you be able to try and go through that mm -hmm. chain and mm -hmm. force your rights lower down? Mm -hmm. Now that brings up all sorts of interesting questions around well in which jurisdiction do you sue? Um, if you're suing on behalf of the Hong Kong entity, do you actually need leave from the BVI court, first of all, to go down through that chain? Do mm. you need intervening mm. leave from Cayman? Mm. You know, how, how these processes get resolved is...
it's, it's going to be really fascinating to see the development. I mean, just to theorise, you could have a multiple derivative action that needed multiple, to use the modern expression, permission or leave, to use the old-fashioned expression, from, from multiple courts, Absolutely. Right? And what happens if one court, one court rejects it? Mm. You know, you might have a very uh, open court, say BVI, if you've got an a intervening company sandwiched mm. in there who's mm. willing to... Um, allow this. But mm. what if that intervening jurisdiction um, mm. doesn't? And I mean, there is this case of CHC Investments, which was, which was a case where uh, it, it involves um, a Hong Kong listed company seeking permission to bring a der derivative action. Um, and as part of the defense of the permission, it was said they're not really bringing in a good faith. It's just a sort of stratagem, a, a tactical um, question. So the courts are, when, when granting leave, and you do need leave, uh, the courts are looking at the obviously the merits, the prospect of success, but also at the, the the good faith. There's a good faith requirement. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And look, that's embedded in the statute. Mm, um, I know, see. The statute very clearly sets out a roadmap for what you have to show the court in order to satisfy it that a derivative claim should be brought. Um, and there's no reason to suggest that those statutory um, issues wouldn't also apply in common law. That's where they had their der derivation. Mm. So showing good faith, things mm. like that, mm. is going to be key. So bringing a claim in Hong Kong, derivative action of a BVI company, you still need to get permission from the BVI court because that's, that's the place of incorporation, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. there was a, um, the first case on all of this was Vardam, and it was uh, proceedings mm. commenced in California. Mm. They hadn't sought leave to start with for okay. the BVI company. So they got burnt? Got burnt. Yeah. Um, and that, that's sort of where it starts, and um, that's where the developments in this law began. Mm -hmm. Well, exciting times for shareholders. Uh, more options for them um, and something to remember. Um, and it allows many different lawyers from jurisdictions to sort of get not their heads together to think of the best strategy. Julie, thank you very much for your time. Will you agree to come again? Absolutely. <laughs> Thanks very much. Thanks, Cheers, Steve. Julie. Bye. Bye.